Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. It's August 31st, 2022, and today on the show, we have interviews with Galway composer and singer Anna Malarkey, who released her debut album Falling recently. Then a chat with Dublin singer-songwriter Jackie Beverly, who releases her long-awaited debut EP Temporary State on September 8th, the same day that she's playing in Whelan's in Dublin. And then at the end of the show, we have three new tracks by Irish artists. This week, you'll hear tunes by Last Survivor, Constance Apply, and Joey Gavin, all of whom explain a little bit behind the tracks too, so that we get to know them. I first got to know Anna Malarkey when I saw her in Dublin's Bellow Bar on a show Nile or Nine put together. The Bonk and Super Silly played the same night, so that's a good that's a good solid show right there. That was in November 2018, there thereabouts, I believe. And I've kept tabs on Anna since then. She's done a lot of soundtrack work, composing music for plays, short films, documentaries, and you can hear a lot of that at her bandcamp page, annamalarkey.bandcamp.com. But she released her debut album in mid-August on Galway's Strange Brew Records. You'll hear her mention Googie midway through her chat. Googie is a brainchild behind Strange Brew, just FYI, in case you're wondering. Falling reflects on love in all its forms, and like Anna will explain, it takes you on a journey. From the likes of the Stranger Things-influenced second track, The Upside Down, through Holding, which pays homage to Anna's folk music roots, to the final track, Sleep, and Just Wait until you hear Anna explain what that one is about. There's bits on the album that are sung in Irish. There's full-fledged trad elements and there's songs built on her love of a synth. All in all, Falling, a great album. Anna plays Fall Right Into Place, How Apt. That's a festival at Clare Galway Castle on Saturday, September 17th. The festival actually runs across the weekend and features the likes of New Dad, whom I love, The Scratch and The Merry Wallopers. I love all of those bands. Me and Anna jump around during our chat talking about her life. You can hear me figuring out the timeline in the first part of the interview, but let's take a listen to opening track, Call It, and then we'll ease ourselves into the chat. It was done over Zoom, just so you know. This is Call It off Anna Malarkey's debut album, Falling.
Where are you this morning? Are you in a studio or in you in your bedroom? Are you in your studio slash bedroom? Uh, this is the sitting room slash studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is this where is this where you always work? You've got a big a big uh, keyboard behind you. I can see on the Zoom. Yeah, there's a piano there. Some modular synths. Analog, is it? Yeah. I was talking to someone about them recently enough and they seemed quite daunted by it. Is this something that you're uh, uh, expert in or learning at the moment? Learning, definitely learning. Definitely not an expert. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think, I don't know. I don't know. It's, yeah, there's just so much to learn actually. It's, uh, which is exciting. Like I'm really into the Orvore, which is called, it's a granular synth. And it's kind of, it's almost a standalone modular unit. It's not really, you can use it in conjunction with others, which is the purpose of modular. But I like it because you can kind of, I don't know, you can really, you basically put like maybe four seconds of a track or a piece or a sound into it and you can go into the grain of it and you can kind of mess with it, like kind of like micro looking at sound. So I really like that. Yeah, it's really fun. (laughs) So uh, do any of these uh, modular synths feature on the album? Yeah, so the Orvor actually is on Call It. So you can hear, sometimes you can hear these voices that are like speaking and they're kind of might be a bit lower or a bit higher. And they're the Orvor. They're kind of like pitch affected granular synth on vocals. Yeah. Wow. So it's a constant learning curve. Like you never stop wanting to learn more, particularly about synths. It seems it's in, it seems like people who are into synths are like really into synths. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like I really just scratching the surface, especially the modular. I really there's there's just so much to learn. And each module then you I think that's the joy, though, is that every kind of tool or, you know, instrument you bring in it kind of changes your mind and changes your mindset around sound. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you you study music in college? Is this something that you uh, got into deep in in college? I actually, I didn't. uh, My undergrad was in psychology and philosophy, but I always played piano. So like it was just always like I was like studying for exams and playing piano, like rote learning, but just playing scales like and I would have just always played. And then I moved to Sweden on Erasmus and got a piano and it was like, yeah, I'm just going to be a musician. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know why I'm studying these things, but they're interesting. Um, yeah. What happened in Sweden that made that made that revelation come to you? I guess there was just like more time, you know, it's like more time to kind of think about what you want to do with your life. Um, and also like being removed completely from your known environment kind of yeah it's like that hero's journey you're you're taken into the abyss and you have to find yourself and come out you know so yeah I had my hero's journey in Sweden which was great (laughs) yeah (laughs) I mean it seems like a good place to have it yeah it's great yeah great uh I actually really really enjoyed my time there so much yeah it's a great place was it in Stockholm Uppsala so it's like an hour north of Stockholm oh okay was so was it I don't know. You think of Sweden, you think quite isolated or something like that. Was there stuff happening? Oh yeah, no, not isolated at all. Actually, they've they've a real sense of community. They have this really interesting um, culture. I think what what month is it? It could be like the the winter months. They do a lot of like community stuff. So like they have when I was in college, a lot of people joined choirs. It's very it's quite normal to be in a choir. Like it's very you know everyone was kind of in a choir. Well, that I knew anyway. <laughs> But uh, 
So then at some point, all these choirs have this one evening where they just literally walk around the city and sing to people, anyone. They would stop in the middle of the street and just sing to you. You've just got choirs singing to you. And like, so they have these kind of traditions because they have like, you know, darkness that lasts for like, it's like you'd be up. It's like, is it like 12 or 1 p.m. and then it's dark until the morning like it's you know and then the same with the the light so their light cycles and their dark cycles are quite extreme and so in order to get through the dark cycles i think they just have really interesting cultural community things they do yeah i loved the choir like getting stopped by a choir and they sang just to me and my friend it was amazing yeah <laughs> D- did you know that this was a thing that was going to happen or were you like oh, what the fuck is going on here lads yeah i actually didn't so i didn't know so at the time i actually wasn't in a choir this was like early days when i got there and i was just like what and i was like i am joining that choir so i joined that choir <laughs> it was great yeah wow does the musical journey actually begin in sweden so like were you playing music before uh you headed over yeah so like I had I was always doing my grades and stuff on the piano and sort of playing a little bit with friends but kind of more on a classical level you know not really the jamming started when I was just on my own like studying for college (laughs) yeah (laughs) I remember doing like applied behavioral analysis learning about that (laughs) and learning about autism and just singing it (laughs) for psychology (laughs) but I'll always remember it (laughs) um yeah so but i was always playing but then sweden kind of consolidated how significant music was to me and how actually yes i love philosophy and yes i love psychology but i think music is more the true path you know it's like that's where you have to go yeah oh okay okay um so when when was that was that like five years ago or something like that was it further away further ago further away yeah good few years ago (laughs) i don't know how many uh because I did so I was in a band in my fellow sponges pre this album for like about eight years so it was before that and yeah okay tell me tell me about being in the band did you you obviously enjoyed the experience that gave I guess it gave you a grounding in music and made you see uh what's involved yeah it was great I think it was really nice to explore different genres with a group of wonderful musicians and learn and grow and we actually we had two albums and an EP and we created those together and we lost the shows and we toured Poland and it was great my fellow sponges we had a lot of time a lot of fun times and yeah it was interesting I think what I loved actually was just watching engineers when we worked on our albums and like letting the the engineers let me sit with them as they worked so I could like maybe understand a bit about engineering and that was really fantastic I really enjoyed that because I think that's those are the skills the key skills yeah yeah well I'm, I'm just imagining like <laughs> you seeing all of these wires going into different places in the studio and you're like ding yeah oh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what I need in my life yeah yeah it's like sometimes it's like ding and then sometimes, sometimes it's like oh I don't understand that <laughs> like at all <laughs> So yeah. you, you came back from Sweden and was were, the, were my fellow sponges still a going concern at that stage or were you kind of looking for a musical outlet? So when I came back from Sweden, I finished final year of college and then my fellow sponges got set up. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So when I was in Sweden, it was still like, yeah, it was still, I'm, my best friend, Sana, 
when I lived in Sweden, she knew I sang and played piano, but I wouldn't really, we would have jams, but I wouldn't really be like, okay, guys, I'm going to sing you a song on my own. It was just like, no, thanks. And so she hid, we were like, she, we were like, lived next door to each other in this apartment. And, uh, you know, we, we'd leave each other's rooms open, be grand, you know, really. And then she hid in my, in my bed and I was playing piano and singing and she stood up. She's like, I knew it. I knew you could sing. I knew it. She's like, you have to do an open mic. So she forced me to do an open mic. Oh my God. It was very scary. <laughs> so, so long ago, but that was, yeah, that was, uh, I think that was like, it was a moment that kind of pushed me. Yeah. Mm, I, I guess so many singers probably have that. Maybe musicians do as well, that like you just need somebody to push you a little bit. And if it's your best friend, I mean, I guess that that's reassuring. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> so did you have a kind of a solo, say, animalarchy performer? Were you doing that uh, when you're in My Fellow Sponges? So when I was in the band, I was composing soundtracks. So I was doing work for my sister, Mia for her documentaries and films. And that was really my solo outlet. Like I never really, I mean, at the time, my interest was the band, do you know? So it was really only later on, Patrick King from the Black Gate, about four years ago, was like, okay, Anna, so uh, would you do a support slot for Clang Sane? And I was like, oh yeah, okay. Uh, with the sponges, he was like, no, no, on your own. And I was like, <laughs> What are you talking about, Patter? I don't have a solo show. He's like, get one. And uh, <laughs> could you play support? So thank you, Patter King. <laughs> Anytime I'm out with him, I'm like, you. <laughs> how, how did how did he know? He he just knew that you like played your own stuff. Yeah, like I had I had a, like Baby Dragon was kind of a track I had ready. like soundtrack work that I was just like oh my god put a kick under it add some lyrics oh what am I gonna do <laughs> and like it was great because and then I used the SP404 the sample the sampling station which was great and like yeah it was he kind of knew I think I was chatting to him about maybe the soundtrack work and how I'd love to maybe figure out how to do it live so he just pushed me into an opportunity which was great yeah and do you remember the first show was it good was it awful was it uh just a challenge yeah, I think all of the above. <laughs> like it was, it was great. Um, it was so scary. 
I never played on my own before, you know, and I actually, you know, I did a lot of shows on my own and then I actually kind of, you know, did a bit of a 180 where I'm like, actually, I really like playing with people. So now I play with people because it's just, it's a lot more fun. Um, but I, I still, it was great. It's like traveling on your own. It's like, if you can travel on your own, when you travel with people, you know, you, you enjoy that. They're just such different experiences, you know, and it was great. Clang saying we're so supportive. They were great. Actually, it was such a wonderful show to, to start with. Yeah. And so the next day were you kind of like, oh, maybe, maybe I have something here. Maybe I have a solo thing ahead of me. Yeah. Yeah. It felt good actually. Yeah. I was like, okay. I, I mean, I don't think the feeling of I need to work on things stops. <laughs> I feel like that's just, <laughs> that's just a continual state of mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely felt really good. Yeah. Are there other moments where you've had someone kind of uh, pushy like that, like your best friend, like Patter from the Black Gate? Is there any other moments that come to mind for your like somebody just gave you a shove from behind sort of thing? Yeah. So Googie um, was like literally, I think my third or second, no, third show um, solo. Googie got in touch and was like, would you like to support Wallace Bird for the Arts Festival? And I was like, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> so that was that was a shock. And it was great like okay here's your motivation like I think you know I always so important to just have those block moments that you're like okay I have to work towards this because I don't really have a choice and I just love that because without those goals it's like it's hard to be very concrete about it so yeah Googie 100% pushed me and it was great yeah so what I'm getting is the the Galway music scene quite supportive it seems yeah, they are actually really supportive. Yeah, like really uh, Googie and the Strange Brew label has been just great to have helping and, you know, helping me navigate the world of music in Ireland and the Black Aid as well. Like they're, you know, really special and really supportive. Are you from Galway City or are you from somewhere somewhere else in Galway? No, from Galway City, we moved around a little bit. So I actually would have lived on Inish Turk for like a year. Oh, wow. Yeah, which was kind of mad. Um, and then like Anna Down and then, yeah, back Galway City. Yeah. Tell me tell me about Inish Turk. I haven't been there. My girlfriend was at a music festival or kind of a little festival that was there, Turkfest. Oh, wow. A couple of okay. years ago. Um, and she only has great stories to tell apart from the like one hour boat trip over, isn't it? It's like 45 minutes or an hour or something. Yeah. Yeah. They can be intense. Yeah. <laughs> Dad, <laughs> did you enjoy the experience of living on in a yeah. church? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was like five. <laughs> it's just like, we are free <laughs> to yeah. like, to, you know, run around an island. And, you know, when you went to the local shop, you know, that was, that was like a big day out like you know it's so interesting how relative things become you know especially at a young age you're kind of you're you're on you know like going to the beach nearly every single day you know <laughs> putting a little worm on a rope and trying to catch a crab like there's just all these really wonderful ways of kind of experiencing yeah why, why were you living there for a year so my mom was the primary school teacher for the school which wasn't great for my twin and I because we literally messed for the entire year. We were in Ninon Mora and we were just like, no, nah, you're not the teacher. You're our mom. <laughs> like we could not take it seriously at all. But uh, yeah, so mom uh, worked there uh, for this. It was, at the time, it was was there 30 students altogether in the school? It could be less. Um, but there was only there was 97 on the island at the time. And then we made it 100. So it was, 
big <laughs> boost there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what the islands always need, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so was it your mum or your dad who were pushing into, not pushing into music, who gave you a love of music? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, both, I suppose. You know, my dad would play the piano and sing and a bit of guitar. And uh, it was always kind of nurtured, really. Do you know? I mean, we were kind of, yeah, we were like, you know, like seven, eight years of age, pushed to do piano. I hated it. I actually was a terrible student. I really was. And gave it up. And then we took up the cello for like two years and also didn't like that, gave it up. And then when I was 14, I actually was like, oh my God, if I don't learn piano, like the world will end. So then we got a piano teacher for me, Elena Gecker, who literally was the most amazing and supportive teacher ever. And it's actually made like it's so hard because she was like so amazingly supportive that like it's other teachers are like you know it's hard to meet the the standard she gave me like she we would have like watched concerts together you know she would have given me like extra time in lessons and just really taught me so much and I would have brought compositions to her and she would have kind of helped me understand it a bit you know not like I think that's interesting. Like she, she wasn't like, okay, here, here's how you be creative. It was like, okay, here's the technical aspects of what you're doing. And here's how you understand when you improvise, what are you doing? Because, you know, without that understanding, you're just, you can kind of, you can lose communication with other people. So she gave me, she gave me a really big foundation to work from. Yeah. Mm. Why did you want to learn guitar again at four or sorry, uh, piano at 14 uh, after giving it up for a couple of years? What, what, what was the thing that you were like, if I, if I don't learn piano, the world will end? <laughs> I think it could be listening to Julie Hawk from the band Hawk. Oh, okay, really? <laughs> so we, were in, we were in school together and I think she played something on the piano and I think something clicked and I was like, I want to be able to do that. I love what she's doing. Yeah, seriously talented musician. So. Yeah, I, I chatted to her for the um, podcast last year. Uh, you were in school together, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> Uh, that's great. You're still friends and still oh, yeah. like sharing each other's music and still, yeah, yeah. Uh, I presume, um, uh, challenging each other, egging each other on and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's great. I like it's, it's, you know, she was, she's just a multi-instrumentalist, you know, very talented, very humble about her talent, you know, and art. Like she's just, she's a great, great soul. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's a trad element in your music as well, I think, trad folk type of element. Where does that come into it? Is that something that was there at a young age as well? Uh, well, I, when I was kind of early teens, we did live near Martin O'Connor. So I got to see some of his original compositions being played like in his kitchen. <laughs> and it's like, you know, when, when you're a kid, you're just like, okay, you know, this is, everything's kind of normal. You're not like, oh my God, this is like a massive moment, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think that that definitely seeped into me a bit, you know, we wouldn't have like gone to sessions. We did a bit of Irish dancing, um, but never too seriously. But I think, yeah, seeing Marcin's, you know, original compositions being played, you know, in his kitchen was just like, yeah, I think that really you know marked something in my mind and then over the last few years during some of the lockdowns uh whenever there was time to play music not gigs now but like i got to kind of experience a little bit with my friends who play trad and just like try jam along with them um and i think that was 
yeah, it just kind of made me feel really liberated. So I thought, okay, like let's bring that feeling of of joy into into the album. So it's kind of a recent development, uh, as much like as in the past couple of years, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's only really like Paul McClure now. He's so he's the accordion player, and in Dice All, that's his uh, that's his arrangement at the end, and um, like it's. Yeah, it's really Paul, I think, was the big, he was the real first person to bring the draw element to the electronics. And then uh, Gabriel Gonzalez is on flute and then Anne-Marie Rin is on fiddle and Kira O'Connor on fiddle and cello. And so they're, they're all traditional musicians. So they're, and you know, amazing humans. And so they kind of brought their their style and their their joy to the table, which was really, you know, a yes, I really wanted trad, but also like, I feel like if I write, I have written some trad pieces for soundtrack work, but they're, uh, they'd be kind of more laments really like, you know, not like, so I was really nice to like get like a Paul McClure just, it's like, come up with a, come up with a trad line there, Paul. And he, you know, he did. It was great. Yeah. 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 That's the thing with like trad players that like even I've seen it's just like their their improvisational skills are just like unparalleled aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's a serious like yeah, it's a craft that I just love. I just think it's so special and I love that it's part of who we are. Do you know it's really lovely that we have that in our cultural identity which is really special. And are you playing any like trad instruments apart from piano? Or are, you, are you trying to get into the sessions and stuff? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's yeah, the piano, it's so awkward. Cause like if you, it, unless there's a keyboard or a piano there, you're like, <laughs> sorry guys, can I take up like five spaces? <laughs> or like, and I'm like, not even like that. You know, like I don't really know many tunes. So it's like, I can just vamp along and like use my ear and stuff. So, but yeah, I am learning the harp, which is- there. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's uh, that was kind of my my lockdown project. That I was like, Do you know what, I'm gonna just learn something. So yeah, I started learning the harp, which was really nice. Yeah. Okay, a sl- maybe a, a slightly similarly sized instrument to a piano and the keyboard, what? but yeah. a little Why bit. Why would I do that? Yeah, it doesn't take up five spaces though, <laughs> does it? Really? No, it actually only takes up about two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that is it. Would be on my my long term goal list, but I mean, I'm not in a rush to it because. You know, like, yeah, when soundtrack work and work is here, it's like, that's my focus. So it's kind of hard to like, you know, leave. Sometimes when I'm like working on soundtracks, I'm just like, that's what I have to do. I find it very difficult to like get away from it. But I would love eventually to to join the sessions. Yeah. <laughs> How are you finding learning the harp? Is it uh, enjoyable? Stressful? Uh, all of the above. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was doing the grades. I have Maeve McKenna is my teacher and she's amazing. I actually haven't gone to lessons in a while. Um, so I will be hopefully going back eventually. Yeah, the grades were great. I'm all about goal oriented learning. It just suits <laughs> me. You know, I know it's not for everyone, but I yeah, I like it. And uh, yeah, I, I actually really love the harp. And if you know the piano, it is like piano in a really weird way. So like the theory and stuff like that like I, I can understand that and I can kind of sight read and stuff so but that's all from the piano which I think is you know if anyone I'm sure all harpists would say like you know maybe learn a bit of the piano before because the technique on the harp is quite hard you know it's it is challenging and I, I'm like you know I have a long way to go but that's okay <laughs> I, I actually really enjoy there's something great about not being 
that great. It's like really good. It's like really good for you. It's like, yeah, I'm actually, I'm not that good at that, but I, I'm okay with that. And I would like to get better and I'd like to, to learn and you know, there's time. Yeah. Yeah. You can kind of see the path in front of you, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there harp on the album? There is. So, uh, sleep was actually written originally on the harp. So that has harp in it and the upside down has harp at the very end. Very good. And you've mentioned uh, the soundtracks a little bit um, in our conversation so far. How did you kind of get started in that world? Yeah, so that was really my sister, Mia, who is a director. Was our, one of our first ever was Danger Overhead Power Lines, which is a documentary uh, following Teresa Tracy. And it was, yeah, it was really, really interesting putting music to a piece. Um, and I think it just, it feels very natural and nice to try understand someone else's psychology and put music to it. Like, I feel like that's kind of a blend of my education in some way. <laughs> <laughs> I really love it, actually. I, I love uh, trying to understand sonically what someone's kind of representation is. What's their frequency? How do we, you know, is it you know is it is it backward vocals <laughs> like are you do you have backward vocals like it's like you so there's so many there's so many ways to describe sonically someone and so and then within a particular context so documentary following their life within a very you know a, a very short period of time and what they're going through and then yeah i love it so my sister mia was is 100 the person who got me into that so w whether it was for that or for the stuff that you're doing like lately or at the moment, um, are, are you kind of making the compositions blind or are you kind of watching watching the, the scenes and then thinking what will work with them? Kind of depends on the job. So some, some jobs I get given a piece and I compose straight to the film. And then some I get a brief and I compose before the film is made and then make adjustments afterwards. Um, sometimes, sometimes I don't get to see the film. <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> here's the pieces, woo. Uh, but I mean, most of the time you're, yeah, you're kind of like a combination of all of the above. You're kind of, you're given a brief, you might start some sounds and then you get the footage and then you, you know, start putting the sounds in the correct order. Um, yeah, there's, there's just so many ways actually of going about it, yeah. Do you have a preference for which way you prefer to work? I think it kind of, I feel like it depends. I do like having the footage because it means you can be as direct as you can, but then, I mean, not having the footage means you might add a whole other uh, like layer that you wouldn't have brought if you saw the footage. So it, it's a, it's, yeah, it both kind of depends, I think, on, on what the job is. Yeah. And I'm presuming most of that uh, film work would be kind of without lyrics, is it? Yeah, yeah, definitely without lyrics. Yeah, a lot of it. A lot of it's like kind of a large amount would be ambient music that you're kind of, you know, emotionally evoca ev evoking something that's undercurrent. You know, you're not trying to say it overtly. And then, yeah, it kind of depends. I might like do a bit of scoring like for strings, which I love. 
there's just yeah so then and then synth work which is just always fun i mean that <laughs> as is we've just, established yeah <laughs> just like like yes please like anytime i get to do like dark synth work i'm like yes thank you this is my soul expressing itself it's great and like i so we have um i work with brew theater company and we have a show on the road in october called selvage and that is a soundscape that really has so many kind of variants so it has like a little bit of techno it has ambient it has like you know lounge music and it has singing normal songs so it has like it was great to be given you know because it's a theater show you can kind of express somewhat differently from a film or like media online like that where you can really kind of become loads of different things for for one thing which i love so yeah Hmm, that sounds really interesting. Is that is that your first time working in theater, or have you done other pieces? I have done other pieces. I did a show, "Are You There, Una?" with Elaine Mears, and I got to play piano and sing. And Frankie J. Pollard was doing so. We had like an Ableton electronic stuff set up, but Frankie triggered it from from behind the scenes, so it looked like I was like doing everything, but I was just playing piano. It was great. Um, yeah, and I've done what else? What else? theater work have I done oh my god pulling a blank I do I did stuff with Maisie Lee and she's lovely I love working with her uh where it was for so these in Longford she had a residency where she, where teenagers wrote a script and then she brought in professionals and for one week we had to put the script into action and into life so it was such a great it was so wonderful to see like a teenager writing some you know and their journey it was actually it was lovely it was lovely reflective piece actually yeah wow um and so like can you compare and contrast making uh the music for films and theater to actually making your own stuff is it as simple as just add lyrics on top and then you've got your <laughs> your solo album is there more to it than that <laughs> yeah it's a funny one like i think i it's i think there's always going to be this like every process will be so different i just every job i do it's like it has its own emotional world everything is, you know it's like contextualized within within itself and i think the album was sort of like a reflection of the last like five or six years of my life or of people in my life and what they were going through or what i was going through but really like ref like yeah looking at people and trying to get like that folk inspired music where you just like sit at a piano and you write a song and then go and produce it they're a blend of lots of different ways of writing in that, in that album. Yeah, lots of different styles. Uh, I saw that you recorded some of it in The Beekeepers and some of it in The Black Gate. Tell me about working in The Beekeepers. I was talking to Dahi recently who runs the place and uh, it's, it sounds amazing. It sounds like it's an amazing place for artists to work. What a dream place. Like, oh my God. I'd actually, I would really love to go back there. It was just so calming and so quiet and serene and you're you know surrounded by just beautiful nature and some cows going moo <laughs> and it was it was great <laughs> and there's a lovely piano there and it was just a really nice space because i you know my my biggest dream and goal with the album was always to go to a cottage in the countryside or a house in the countryside where you know musicians we could just feel relaxed let our guard down I, and like the, we finished it in the studio because you know that was like the end you know it wasn't like the 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 foundation was done where there was no real sense of pressure yes okay we wanted to work and yes we wanted to get a lot done 
But at the same time, I kind of knew I would go away and like, you know, mess with everything that we recorded anyway and like see what happened. You know, it was more about like just trying to get capture a moment in time, essentially, because I was working with Sam. Well, I am working with Sam Wright and Paul McClure and Anne-Marie came and Gabrielle. And it's like, I'm just thinking, oh, my God, I am so lucky to have these musicians in my life. and I want us to all feel really good about what we do and like, you know, being in a nice, comfortable environment. It's just so key, you know, without feeling like it's just it feels like fun, which I love. Yeah. So so if the album was the kind of the culmination of five or six years work, like you said earlier, what did you go to the cottage with? Did you go there with ideas for songs or kind of a blank canvas or or what did you go there with? Yeah, so we had the Upside Down, Ishka, some Mall. We actually had a good few of the tracks. Um, Sam and Paul did a lot of arranging when we were there where, you know, like, they're like, okay, Anna, what are we doing? And I'm like, well, actually, I'd love to see what you do. You know, this is interesting for me. I think there's only there's only so much one person can bring to a table. I love when people bring their opinions and their taste that it can expand. You know, like, Thou Small, The End becomes a trad session, which that's totally Paul's interpretation, you know, which I love. I just, it really was brilliant. And then like uh, Call It as well and Falling Apart, you know, where Sam would have sort of sat with me and gone through some of the arranging and just gone, maybe we could repeat this here or, you know, maybe let's move that there. And yeah, so there was a good few. I think everything was actually kind of written when we got there, but it was like with a little bit of electronics and then we started to to put some stuff down on it, yeah. Re- refining them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then like getting to work in the Black Gate at the end was just like, just so great. I love the Black Gate and their studio with Liam King. Um, So Kira O'Connor, we had a really far too intense of a day. <laughs> We're jam-packed way too much in. But uh, we got the drums in and that was really important to get it done in a studio in a controlled environment where yeah, and because the drums actually, it was like, I thought it would be more electronic drums, but actually the acoustic kit really became apparent that was actually going to be really crucial to have in it. And, you know, Dave Shocks and I have worked together in the sponges and worked together for years. So it was so nice to have him. Um, but yeah, that day, the day we had in the Black Gate studio really consolidated the kind of the final touches. Yeah. And you've mentioned uh, the Upside Down uh obviously i'm guessing uh inspired by stranger things is that just you imagining that you're soundtracking an episode of stranger things or is it uh just inspired by the by the show just inspired yeah i mean uh we watched stranger things i actually think we watched the entire season one back to back one night and drank whiskey and woke up the next day and i was working on a soundtrack actually at the time (laughs) so part of the soundtrack i just took a loop of it and then I was like playing some guitar and I was like, oh, that that sounds like a song. So then I wrote the Upside Down. So thank you, Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you watched the latest series? I haven't watched it yet, so I can't, I, you know, I can't really talk about it. But if you want to uh, say, did you enjoy it? Was it too long because the episodes were like 90 minutes long or something, weren't they? Well, you know, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I love a bit of, bit of horror, a little bit of gore, a bit of 80s vibe, synth wave. Yeah, it's my, it's my cup of tea. Yeah. Is is it over now? Is there still more to come? Oh, there's still more to come. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. I I I watched the first series and 
really enjoyed it and then just completely lost me in the second yeah. series but you you stuck with it i did i did i actually played they've got these app games netflix have games and they've got oh, yeah, stranger yeah, yeah. things on your phone so i played both of them they were great it's like more than music i just think the music is so good it's so rich mm. like yeah yeah tough love and the title track or title ish track i guess uh falling apart they're kind of the center piece of the album kind of a about toxic relationships i would say coming out of toxic relationships did you know kind of when you were working on the album that they would kind of be the centerpiece no no i didn't really know what the centerpiece was going <laughs> to be i mean you know it could have been call it you know in terms of it being like call it like leave it like leave the relationship or look back and look at love you know that idea that it juxtaposes the the idea that it's it's you know it, you can look at things in two separate ways you can look at it badly or you can look at it with love um and falling apart was yeah i mean it i sent i gave my sister the album and that song kind of spoke to her so she wanted to make a video for it which was great and the yeah so she kind of helped me shape that a bit and she was like add a bit more had a bit more synth there and I was like good oh, really? okay thank you yeah so that was great actually it was really nice um so that one I think that kind of just then started to become the centerpiece you know once once I knew there was going to be a video it was like yeah that's that makes sense like you know let's let's let that be the heart for sure so does the album kind of follow a journey kind of thematically or anything yeah so it kind of starts with like a nostalgic reflection on love that can be either that you could call it love like you know even like I, I believe that like if you have a night out and you're like you fall in love with a stranger and then it's over nothing ever happens again like that was love you know and I love this idea that love can be moments in time love can be you know it can be so many things it doesn't just have to be this like this narrative that we're used to you know um but yeah so it starts with nostalgic call it love because actually that's what it was and then it goes I'm like oh what's my what's my track list <laughs> <laughs> it goes it definitely follows oh yeah the upside down so then it follows like the journey of love i'm like i'm back i'm back it follows the journey of love and it kind of then goes it finally goes into holding which is like you know you only hold those that which you love so it's like still in the love cycles the first half is all about being in love um and then it starts to go down so the love cycle up and then we go down to what happens if you fall out of love and what happens if you you know reflect in a different way on love which is falling apart um and then i think like for me so i did a show called arash arish you know it's a virtual reality show with brew theater company and so ishka is a track that i wrote for that show and then i went and like redid it to kind of be more of a single i remember sh showing it to my friend Sive pre me fixing it into being a single i was like Sive, what do you think is it good and she was like anna like that it's great for a theater show but it makes no sense as a single i was like <laughs> okay cool 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 so i had to go and like it was great because you know that kind of feedback really helped so i went and i changed it and made it more like a single and added that really weird drop thing that makes me happy you know tremolo <laughs> and a bass happy but that song actually so newland mcdonald is the lyricist for that song it's from uh her poetry on mermaids and I think for me it's like yes okay we have this love cycle and then it falls down to sadness and you know like 
a different take on love. Um, and then it goes into the interpersonal, so into yourself and actually, you know, who, who am I? And this reflection on identity, um, which in that particular poem is, you know, really like the when Irish immigration and people who left Ireland and really felt Ireland keep coming, they kept coming back to them. So it's a mermaid who keeps seeing water at her feet and she smells the sea, even though she's just brushing her teeth in a bathroom. And so water is all around her. And I think it's like, really, it's about coming back to yourself and knowing who you are, you know? So you have this love cycle and it's all about everyone else, but actually coming back to who you are is so fundamental and so pure. And then finally you end on sleep because sleep is great. <laughs> I love sleep. Get your eight hours. <laughs> I love that. The, the, the explanation of all the previous songs and the toxic relationships. And then, yeah, the last song is called Sleep. It's about sleep. <laughs> sleep is great. And I always like, you have this particular meditation sometimes that I do where it's like, everything's kind of red and there's like a waterfall. And like, I just feel like sometimes when you sleep, it's like, yeah, you can just you can go to so many magical places. So it's like, yeah, okay, we have all these, we have all these things, but actually, you know, there is, there's, there's room for dreaming. There's room for all this joy. <laughs> um, did you enjoy the process of putting the album together, like from start to finish and kind of figuring out that journey that you were talking about? Yeah, I mean, what's really wonderful and also like a bit mad is, the learning curve that happens, you know, with electronics. So you might learn loads and then you come back and you're like, oh my God, I can do all these things now. And then you're like, so it's really hard to know when to leave a song alone. Um, mm. But I really did enjoy working on the album. Like it was, yeah, it was a joy pretty much the whole way. You know, it was just, yeah, just so nice playing with other humans and getting to work with Frankie, getting to work with Liam, like, the engineers I work with who are just the backbone of like, all my work. They're just fantastic. And yeah, just knowing that everyone who worked on it, like we all enjoyed ourselves. We all had a really good time. And, you know, like, yeah, I think that for me, that was just so important. Yeah. Great. Uh, last couple of questions. Airbrilla is one track that you haven't mentioned. Uh, it's half an Irish, I think. Uh, tell me about how how you played around with the Irish, I guess, and how you decided that you wanted a bit of that in the song. Yeah, I think it's like, it's such a like anger or furious being furious. It's such a, it's such a weird emotion to be creative about, you know, it's like, and like, I'm not a rapper. Like, I feel like if I was a rapper, I could do it justice, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm actually a really bad rapper. <laughs> I have, I have tried. Not like, not like just with friends. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's, I feel like there's that emotion, you know, like Eminem, it's like, boom, like, you know how he feels, he's saying it, you know? And like, I really appreciate that. But it's really hard as a singer to kind of go like, what is anger? But I feel like the Irish language allowed me to say things really simply, you know, like, always angry. What are you doing? Like, you're always angry. And, th you know, it's like, you can just say it, but it's like, Oscar a go near abuela can sort of fly baton like it's it just feels better so it just had to be in irish and then at the end it goes into i'm not looking for tomorrow i'm looking for today if it's something toxic just walk away and i feel like that was english because it's kind of like i don't know it's like yeah you're kind of coming out of this cloud and you're like actually there you go 
So mm. you're kind of saying to yourself, like, you know, if you're like coming from the Erbuilla cloud, yeah. And so the album is only like a week, a week, ten days old. But like, I was just asked people what they're what they're working on next. Like, I, yeah. it seems like you're busy anyway with this theater show that's coming up in October. Yeah. So I was like, I did. I actually just did this EP with this beautiful woman who has special needs, and that'll hopefully come out soon enough. Um, it was great. Got to produce music with her. Um, which was really special. So that that should be coming out in a bit and working on a short film soundtrack, co-steering, which also should be coming out. I, I'm not sure actually when, but they're currently shooting, which is very exciting. And what else? Yeah, so the Salvage Tour, which, yeah, I'm very excited about that. So yeah, lots, like I even, I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready to start like <laughs> creating my own stuff more of it. I have a residency in December for two weeks. Interface is, is what the residency is called. And it's kind of like a combination of science and art and like trying to create. So I feel like I have two weeks in December and I can, uh, I'm really looking forward to just like having some time for me and getting to work on something new. Yeah. Where Where is that residency? It's... I'm really bad at like knowing places. I just okay. know it's near Clifton. <laughs> I tend to like, I tend to like the day before I'll go, okay, I better look at where we're going. So <laughs> I, I probably won't look until then. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you came up with this album at, at the Beekeepers, at uh, one of your last residencies, I'm guessing maybe working on some new music, maybe working on your rapping skills. Oh God. As well. <laughs> Maybe you just need a friend to like hide in your bedroom while you're rapping, while you're rapping along and be like, I knew it. You're great at rapping. Oh my God. That's great. That's great. Okay. Let's leave it there. I look, for, I look forward to the second album. Thanks Owen. Lovely cool. chatting to you.
That's Dose Mal off Animalarchy's debut album Falling, which is available at animalarchy.bandcamp.com. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat. I certainly did. But there's no time to relax because we have another great interview coming up right now. Dublin singer-songwriter Jackie Beverly knows her way around a ballad. She recorded a piece for my Best of 2021 episode talking about being influenced by the likes of Phoebe Bridgers and Lucy Dacus. Jackie's been making music for around four years with a couple of singles that are up on Spotify, but Temporary State is her debut EP and it's coming out on September 8th per the press release. Temporary State is a collection of songs that was written during various stages of transit over the past couple of years. While each track contains themes and stories unique to themselves, there is a refined common thread of personal journey and change which winds a path through each of the songs, connecting them together. So me and Jackie, during our chat, we go through all of the tracks on the EP, I think, so you'll get an idea of what they're about ahead of the release of Temporary State on September 8th, when Jackie also plays her biggest headline show to date. That's at Whelan's. Tickets are available and she's going to be supported by Letha and Galia Arad. And it sounds like it's going to be a great night. So if you're able to go along to see Jackie Beverly on her EP release day. Listen to the EB opener. It's called Analog Radio, and we'll get into the chat that begins with a little bit about pop music and a little bit about Primavera this year. How has your summer been so far? Have you had a good summer of maybe music-wise or you can talk about like life in general? Yeah, so I'd do both. Like life in general is nice. I think this being the first summer that the old Panny D (laughs) isn't around uh, has really helped. It just feels a lot more open, a lot more free and like getting to see people face to face like we were chatting about earlier is just like a real benefit. I kind of get my energy from people and not having that sucked (laughs) um yeah so it's been really nice it's actually also been quite chill um like I feel when the world kind of opened back up again it was really hectic and I had so many things to go to and so much to do 
And that's sort of kind of petered off a little bit now. And it's like a doable amount of things uh, while like still getting to meet up and enjoy people, um, but not overdoing it. So that's super nice. The weather's been deadly. Lots of camping trips. And oh, yeah? Yeah. Act- actual camping trips rather than like festival camping? Actual camping trips. Because there's a big difference between the two of them, isn't there? Huge. I think festival camping, I can do maybe max three in a summer. That's my max, absolute max. If I do oh, any more okay, than right, that, yeah. it's like, I'm tired. But like, we go, uh, I know people kind of laugh when you call it wild camping because it's a sort of laughable term these days. Like, how wild can you actually get? Yeah. <laughs> um, but there is this one spot that we go to in the Schlieve-Bloom Mountains, and it's, like, proper trek from the car park, and you have to bring all your stuff. There's obviously nothing up there, uh, but it's gorgeous. It has, like, really, really dense forest, like, a waterfall that you can jump into, and, yeah, it's gorgeous. So got up there a few times, um, brought my dog, which was oh, nice. Oh, great. Um, and yeah so that's kind of like life life and then music life (laughs) uh, has been really nice as well I kind of finished up my EP early in the summer which is a first normally for me I'm working until the very last minute and then it's a scramble to get everything together I said to myself I was not going to do that this time (laughs) it's not going to ruin my summer it's not going to ruin my summer and it didn't and I'm so happy about that but it also came from a lot of hands on deck to get it to that point yeah I guess like finish things up kind of mid-July which gave me a month to not do things so hectically and to really enjoy the final touches and like that process and like not be too stressed about it so yeah it's been it's been lovely and it's my first EP as well so I didn't really know how much was involved in like the prep or the process and instead of it being super stressful it's been a really nice journey I guess that's great we were talking just before we press record about Primavera. You were at Primavera the second weekend and then we just devolved into talking about Charlie XCX and Dua Lipa. How was the rest of the weekend? What was what were the highlights of your Primavera? I have Apart a- from the huge crowds. Oh, the huge crowds. Yeah, they were they were a good highlight. So I have a couple like really eclectic mix. Like the, f- the first thing that comes to mind when you say that is Grimes DJ set. Oh, really? I I heard she was really, really good, yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Like, I didn't really know what to expect from her. But when we got there, she went from, like, playing Enya into the heaviest techno I've ever heard. But then would go and, like, kind of verge and play um, All I Want for Christmas Is You by Mariah Carey. And it's you don't think it's going to work, but it, oh, it worked so well. <laughs> and it was just perfect because it was so unexpected. And then, again, back into, like really heavy techno and it's kind of exactly what we needed at that time of the night so she was I think we talked about her for hours afterwards yeah it was really good um because she's someone who I don't know has maybe kind of become a bit of a joke kind of in the last few years you know like the whole Elon Musk thing I just don't understand what happened there um but like she has a couple of great albums under her belt and yeah apparently is a killer DJ she is a killer DJ like if she came back to Dublin I'd be on Ticketmaster trying to get those tickets straight away um I guess just watching her perform as well she is really like like celestial kind of like she is true to her kind of persona that she puts out there like it's just it's she's really interesting to watch and it's a it's as I said you don't think that the tunes are going to work but they were amazing they, they were really really good very like surprises around every corner but the right kind of surprises um <laughs> so Christmas tunes at a Spanish festival in the height of summer it was Does amazing. work. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Take note, DJs. 
Um, of course, CMAT was incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she great. was amazing. Were you there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think as well, that was the Saturday. It was quite early on the Saturday. Yeah, it was so hot. It was so hot. But again, I think like she's exactly what you need at half five to kind of get you in the mood. And um, I just think I lose my mind every time No More Virgos comes on. It's just, <laughs> it brings me to another level. And Because you hate Virgos? or <laughs> Just because it's the most bang and pop song I think I've ever heard. I was with a few people who hadn't actually heard her before and watching their reaction. Like I was kind of explaining, I was like, oh, okay, she's kind of like country pop, like cow girl kind of I don't really know how to explain her even and then like just her personality on stage her energy um just elevates everything to a next level same for when we saw her at all together now it was incredible and then of course she made that amazing speech about trans rights which was just I don't think anybody had a dry eye in the whole festival um but yeah, it was great to get to introduce new people to seeing her and um, it just completely set us up on a high. So she was amazing as well. Uh, and then my queen, Jessie Ware, was just incredible. Oh yeah, yeah. She was yeah. pretty much the last thing of the weekend, wasn't she? She was, I think, yeah, she was on the Cooper stage and it was like quite late. Cooper was my favourite stage. I don't know if you enjoyed that stage as well. I, I keep saying it's probably the best uh, festival stage in European festivals. Not that I've been to all of them, but uh, it just looks unbelievable. It's like this perfect amphitheatre, um, but it has steps if you want to sit down, if you're old like me now and can't actually dance that much anymore. Um, but I presume that you're up and dancing at Jessie Ware. I was an hour and a half early for Jessie Ware just so I could be at the very, very front. Yeah, I was a diehard fan and don't regret anything. It was amazing. Because she hasn't played Ireland. She doesn't have an Irish date coming up or anything like that. This is like our only chance to get to see her. Exactly, She was yeah. unbelievable. The last time I saw her was at the Academy and I'd say it was coming up on maybe like five years ago or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was like her pre-disco yeah, stuff. Yeah, it? yeah, it was just great to get to see her and... She's she's definitely like when you talk about her pre-disco stuff, like I think now she's transformed into this. She is officially a gay icon. Like she's totally yeah. gotten to that <laughs> level now. And to go and see her at Primavera at that Cooper stage. Uh, yeah, that was that was definitely a highlight. So I think those three really, really stood out to me. There's loads more as well. I think I put up an Instagram post about who I saw and there's like 30 people that I saw over the weekend and every one of them were amazing. One thing I will say is... I think that all the women absolutely blew their performances out of the water. Like they were so good. It was all we could talk about was how good the gals were. Um, so like that was amazing as well to have that kind of um, female sort of energy about the place that like really, really rocked it. Yeah, they were great. Is that something that you notice at festivals? Like something that you do take note of. Like if you went to say, say if Altogether Now didn't have that many women like in prominent spots on the lineup, would it be something like that you'd notice? I definitely would. Mainly because, well, for a few reasons, obviously because equality is really important and it's important to give women those platforms, especially because women are nailing it at the moment. Um, but also for me personally, I, <laughs> I prefer a female vocal it's just kind of what I resonate with. Like when I was kind of first getting into music, it would have been uh, like Lisa Hannigan, the staves, any kind of like in pop music, it was always women um, who I like love their songs first and foremost. So I guess like personally, as a personal preference, um, 
I would notice that. Yeah, because that's kind of what I gravitate to and what I enjoy. In saying that as well, the lads did kill it. Like they were <laughs> awesome. I can't <laughs> say that they didn't because they did. And uh, yeah, they were great. Like at all together now, like Groove Armada were amazing. Underworld were unreal. I saw so many bands. They're hard. This is what I say. My short term memory is like <laughs> really bad. <laughs> so if I had to sit down and like look at it, I could come up with so many more. But um, yeah, I think for me, it's definitely important to hear female voices on a lineup for sure. Yeah, I was listening back to um, the voice note you recorded for the best of uh, episode that I put together there at the end of um, 2021. And you were talking about Lucy Dacus and Phoebe Bridgers and there would they be kind of the main influences on your sound? You were talking about their kind of love of a ballad, I suppose, and teaching you that it what you know, it's it, it not that it's not cool, but like, you know, you can do that if that's what you want to do. There was definitely a time where ballads weren't cool. And I'd say a lot of people would still argue right now that they're not. Um, Maybe pre-Phoebe Bridgers, was that when they were yeah, in school? Yeah, 100%. She I think, brought the ballad back. I think she definitely brought it back. Like <laughs> she, um, but I think the production on her ballads is also like... Lush. Lush, yeah. And it kind of maybe arguably changes it from a ballad into kind of something else that I can't quite put my finger on. What first got me into music would have been like kind of folk sort of acoustic kind of tunes which then because well, at one point when I was growing up pop music wasn't cool like mm. it was kind of frowned upon to enjoy pop music and you had to be sort of into these alternative bands and that kind of thing thank god that phase is over because <laughs> <laughs> pop music is daddy <laughs> but yeah like I definitely went through a phase where I was kind of afraid to like if someone Spotify wasn't around like back then I sound really old I'm not that old I'm like 31 but anyway <laughs> um like growing up kind of in school or whatever when you had your mp3 player and stuff like I, like if I was going out to hang out with a certain group of people I'd be afraid to like show them what was on it because it would be pop songs or ballads or like that kind of thing mm-hmm. and I'd you know have this kind of backup list of cool sort of alternative bands that I could name drop but uh thankfully I came to my senses and realized <laughs> that that was stupid um but yeah I guess like with Phoebe Bridgers and Lucy Dacus like they definitely I know Phoebe Bridgers has been around for a long long time and gigging with like Conor Oberst and stuff like that and like I I think though she definitely very much carved her own space on the scene with her music and for me it was a very like all of a sudden I was like wow Phoebe Bridges is deadly like I didn't really follow her from a younger uh from her younger career like mm. up I can't actually remember I think my friend Jana might have uh introduced me to her and I didn't really pay attention the first time around and I guess maybe the more kind of uh popular she became as as anything else like you just kind of catch on a bit more than you're like oh maybe I should like listen to this a bit more and uh her songs are just so great and they are in that ballad style but I don't know as I said the production on them is something special but it kind of made me realize that okay it's okay to write ballads but then once you have that like it's what you do with that that's important like and how you sort of bring that into the studio and like make little changes that kind of take it to that next level um I don't know if I'm there with my music yet but I'm kind of I'm enjoying exploring how to do that and like take it from the kind of standard ballady type song into something that might be a little bit more special or a little bit more uh different and yeah are you talking about like going in with it just on acoustic guitar and then kind of 
keep adding stuff to it or are you talking about something different? yeah so i think just with uh i think it's uh kyoto that phoebe bridger's song what happened with that song i was uh listening to an interview that uh she did was like she had written that yeah on an acoustic guitar and went in and the producer that she was working with was like okay this is great but it's definitely not a ballad we need to add like proper drums and you know make it into more of like a rock song sort of and the idea of doing that to me is just like wow you can do that with a song because I I wouldn't be the most musical person I can like tinkle around on a piano I can play the guitar um, and I can mess around with stuff on Logic but I wouldn't be um, I'd be kind of I don't know if I'd have the self-confidence to call myself like a proper musician. Do you know what I mean? Like songwriter, definitely. But like when it comes to like musical instruments and stuff like that, it'd be like very much handing that over to someone else who I know can do it better than me. Um, But yeah, I guess like her kind of music and Lucy Dacus and um, a couple of other artists opened my eyes to the fact that you can go in with a song, but just because it's written on the guitar doesn't mean that it necessarily has to stay on the guitar. Like you can change different parts around like... um, I don't know, that might seem very obvious to some people, but to me it was this big revelation. Uh, I wrote the song on guitar. It's a guitar song. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, yes. <laughs> <laughs> did you go see Phoebe Bridgers in Dublin? I did. In the summer? Was it good? It was amazing. Would, um, were you actually able to see her? I heard the people couldn't see her. The, it was the very layout difficult. of, uh, what is it, St. Anne's Park? Fairview Park, Fairview yeah. Fairview Park. Um, it was hard to see, yeah. It was I on like an upslope. I don't know what they were thinking and there was no screens either (laughs) Um, but yeah I think she opened with Kyoto and then went on to Garden Song and uh, Motion Sickness and like that's the holy trifecta like I think (laughs) like I think I like evaporated into the sky from sheer excitement after that and also hearing the crowd sing was amazing Um, and I think there was queues so so long to get in and they were kind of she definitely has a younger fan base and I sort of wish that I had been as into an artist as all those young women were. And because I, I think it would have been amazing to get to go see an artist that you love that much. But I I don't know, if, like music was really on my radar when I was that young. But yeah, it was just lovely. It was a great gig. Uh, I was there with friends and she just knocked it out of the park. She was great. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild to think just like how popular she is, because I just don't think she kind of courts it that much. It always feels to me like it is kind of the music that has won people over. Yeah, absolutely. She's not really, like when you look at her social media, she's not one to be kind of like out there flaunting it or like um, she she just lets the music speak for itself. I think definitely. Apart um, from with Irish fans and Paul Meskell and, and that whole. I think that's an extra, like, I don't know if she was prepared for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she knew what she was getting herself into. Um, the GAA shorts have really made a comeback. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, definitely the music. Um, but I think that probably comes from, again, she has come from, a, like, experience of writing ballads. And I don't know if you necessarily expect that level of fame and especially in this day and age where it's mm. like electronic pop music is like the kind of thing that gets gets you famous real quick or I don't know. <laughs> you know, she warmed up for Con- Conor Oberst a while ago and like definitely not mainstream back then. 
And so maybe that's kind of what she's grown up with and is kind of used to. I don't know. I sound like a Phoebe Bridges expert. I'm definitely not. But that's no. just my take on it. Yeah. I don't know how you become. A, I don't know. It'd be hard to become a Phoebe Bridges expert is all I think. Yeah, definitely. The, yeah. The young people just know so much more yeah. about her. Um, so when did you start kind of making music as, as Jackie Beverly, the artist? I started around 2018. Um, so I was, the year after Phoebe Bridges' debut album? Yeah. However, even when I started, I will put my hands up and say I actually, I knew who she was, but I hadn't really listened to her music that much. So yeah, I started, but I had been like kind of writing songs just to myself in my bedroom for a while. I was also in a band with my brother, like an indie folk band. Oh, yeah. What was um, the band called? Taylor's Lane. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then I kind of, I as I said, realized that there was just this like other world of being able to take your music from just the guitar or piano and like make it into an actual song. So I approached Darren Nolan. Um, he is in a band called Sacred Animals and he runs a studio called Astakalapa. Uh, very nervously with this like very bare demo that I had put together and asked him if he would be interested in uh, working with me to like write one or two songs or to kind of produce one or two songs. And pretty much straight away he was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was my first experience in a music studio. And again, realizing that you can like do so much with a song. Like I went in there with, when I say it was bare, it had like harmonies I can like kind of layer on for days. But when it's just the music <laughs> stuff, it was like literally like bing, bing, bing on the, on the piano, like the most simple chords. They weren't probably weren't even chords, you know, like, and then brought it into Dara and he had all these really deadly kind of, Dara sort of specializes in, I would almost say like vintage instruments. So he's got like a really cool uh, Wurlitzer piano and like a, like original Juno synth and all these kind of things. And like we were messing around on them and kind of found a sound that we liked and put it together. And then he added these deadly 80s kind of drums. And all of a sudden I was like, this is definitely not the song that I came in here with. And that kind of propelled me to do more. And then, yeah, released that first song at the end of 2018 um, and kind of went from there. So like four years later and now you're releasing your debut EP. Uh, is it Was it just a learning curve that it's kind of taken so long? You wanted to just become better at the instrumentation? Yeah, I'm always really nervous about releasing any kind of body of work, mm. like because it is a bigger uh, journey sort of in, I think... I don't know with singles like you can kind of work on them and release them and see how they get on and hope that they do well but if they don't do well it's okay because you can release another single and it's not so much of a big kind of deal um with an EP I think it's a bit more nerve-wracking I guess because it's a body of work and like kind of it takes a while to put it together and it's kind of a bit more heartbreaking to think that if it doesn't do well, like, I don't know, it's just, that's my own, it's probably ego actually is kind of holding me back from like doing these kind of things. Um, but with this particular song, EP, it's called Temporary State and each song, it actually wasn't written in like one kind of swooping moment. So each track was written at a different stage in my life, like the title track, Analog Radio, um, then it's Temporary State, then it's Changeling, and then it's Vico Road. Changeling is maybe the first song that I ever wrote on the oh, guitar. Wow. Yeah. And can you hear that in your development as well? Can you, like, would you listen back to it and be like, I don't know if I'd do that now? 100%, but also, like, 
it's interesting like when I first started to release music professionally or like uh think that I could yeah like do music in inverted commas like <laughs> as I said I kind of started with uh like indie folk kind of thing and Changeling is very much a folk song like it's about um like a fairy woman who kind of gets taken away and brought back to Ireland as a different person and this kind of thing then you go and listen to the other songs on the EP Analog Radio is kind of like the next step up it's like a bit more um like Phoebe Bridgers was a huge influence on me with that (laughs) song like definitely um and that's easy to hear but then you go and listen to Temporary State and Temporary State sounds kind of like it's a bit more synthy it's a bit bigger um there's like I love infusing folk music with electronic style so I love like acoustic guitar with synths I think that's just it's such a nice magic combination it's a really lovely delicate sound at times but then you can create this big soundscape with it and I really love that and then the last song Vico Road is again like kind of an amalgamation of everything um way more uh, heavy on the electronic side but it also has those elements of like like I brought brass into it which for me kind of maintains that sort of folky sort of feel um so like your original question is like can you see the development it's like yes but it's definitely like <laughs> interspersed and like back and forths and it's not like linear I suppose mm. yeah yeah um tell me about the the second track I was reading that it's about that constant unrelating pressure of feeling like you're up against the clock taking on too much and then being too hard on yourself when you don't achieve what you want to the the vicious cycle of feeling you constantly need to be productive I think that's the thing that a lot of people creative people feel like that you have to be doing something but it's actually the not doing something that's as important isn't it yeah I think in the music industry at the moment I suppose you can kind of you can you can make your own journey within the music industry but I definitely feel within popular music um there is a need to always stay relevant Mm. and to be constantly churning out uh content and art and music and especially with social media like social media has definitely screwed us all over big time and like I, I look forward to in the future when the time comes maybe for me to like go and write an album that I just like shut it all down for like a year and not worry about it and not see like I don't know I think as a creative person or as anybody like it's hard not to compare yourself or your journey to other people and I think with uh social media and creative people like it's especially hard because you're like that person is creating more music than me or like they're the people who are you know and it's hard not to kind of stop and say this is definitely not a competition and like especially like mm. all like with art and stuff it's there's space for everybody so with uh temporary state that's kind of what that song is about the sort of need to be constantly up to date what's got what's going on like relevant making new content all the time and the idea that if you're not doing that means you're slacking off but rest is so important and like if you're not rested you can't come up with these new ideas and you know it's not going to be good it's not going to be great and like I mentioned earlier like earlier like ego I think is a big part in um in music worrying that you're not going to do well worrying that your music's not going to be received well but it actually shouldn't really be that at all because it's art and you're kind of making it 
first and foremost for you hopefully people like it yeah but if you're going if you're producing art in the hope that other people like it, it that's a very shallow kind of state to be creating things in you know hmm, um, interesting yeah I was like I was talking with someone I think on the podcast recently about that you know some people like throw out their music online and rather than giving it like a full release like you've been waiting to release this and making sure everything is like lined up for it and stuff so you do kind of pay attention to it you do want people to listen to it as well oh absolutely and I think it would be like there's a reason why as you said like it's taken me a while to do it like I do want everything to be right I do want it to be in place I want um I obviously want it to be well received as well um but I think it's the purpose why you do it in the first place is that it has to be fulfilling for you to do it well I mean I, I guess the other argument is that there's there's kind of like writers out there who would work and write music and they'd get enjoyment out of it but maybe the music's not for them maybe it's for like advertisement companies or like you know films or like that kind of thing and it's not as personal but I think when you're writing songs um especially in the kind of ballad style like it's hard not to write from personal experience and when you're putting that out there then like you do want to be well received but like you're first and foremost writing it for you I guess this is like a cathartic kind of almost like I don't know it's a th- it's therapeutic like to be able to write songs like that um are, are all the songs written like that on the EP are they all kind of from a personal perspective maybe apart from Changeling the, <laughs> yeah. the, the um, fairy one? I can't say that I've been taken away by fairies <laughs> and then replaced but I don't know maybe I couldn't I have. not say either <laughs> yeah uh yeah very personal um all about personal experience I like telling stories in music and yeah I kind of each song that like the title of the track of the EP is temporary state and each song was kind of written at a stage of like I don't know movement in my life or like transition or that kind of thing and uh, I think each song sort of portrays that journey or that transition of like okay what's happening now in my life okay next song what's happening at this stage in my life you know so and Vika Road the last song did you write that with Joe Furlong I saw his name on the on the press release yeah you Joe- gonna help that add the yeah the and stuff too. yeah we got uh i approached joe uh with this song again with a demo that i think it would be funny actually um like maybe after the release to put up the demo and then to put up the uh and to, just to compare it because like holy shit it's so much bigger than the demo and yeah. that's definitely thanks to joe um so yeah i approached joe about it and um he got on board and he asked me if he if i had anywhere in mind to record it and I had seen uh, David Anthony Curley had opened up this amazing studio called The Clinic. And as I said earlier, I love combining kind of acoustic electric or acoustic guitar with with synths. And like The Clinic is just like the mecca of synths. It has every <laughs> kind of synth that you can ever imagine. And I really wanted to get in there and explore the different sounds. And I just like knew that Joe would be the right person to do that with. Everything he touches is amazing. His new band, The Cope, are incredible. Um, And uh, yeah, so we went in and managed to, we did a little bit of pre-production, but when we got into the the clinic, I think we were under a bit of time pressure and we managed to, to get everything done in the one day. But like from the second we stepped in there, it was all business, like it was like, go, go, go. And yeah, ideas were kind of flowing. 
Theo Byrne, Theodore Byrne, Joe's girlfriend came in at one point to play keys. Um, she just called in to say hey that she was just like oh I'll jump on so I was like this is amazing <laughs> she can't release like, yeah. she can't resist it yeah um, and then Joe features on the track as well and then David was sound engineering um, on the day and yeah so kind of left with the track pretty much finished and then um, I kind of went away with it and I was like oh I would love if there was uh, a little bit of brass in this to kind of marry it into the rest of the EP slightly so um, I did a bit of work with my friend Nick and uh, we did the brass on um, like soft instruments on Logic I think we used and then brought it back and mixed it with Cormac Butler and I think I think it's potentially my favorite song on the EP. Yeah, it sounds great. It's great uh, closing track as well. Yeah, I wanted it to be like a sunrise and I think that's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, have, have you kind of got like this group of friends that you can bounce ideas off of or like go to them with like musical questions as well? In the least corniest way, I would consider everyone on the Irish music scene a friend that I could do that with. Like we're so friendly. Um, yeah, it's it's great to be able to approach someone and be like, what do you think of this or what do you think of this? And for them to be able to give you an honest idea. I feel I feel like you can do that. Like you could email almost anybody and they'd be like, they'd send get you back a genuine you. answer. They'd, yeah. they'd give you so much of their time straight away. It's so lovely. Um, and yeah, it's nice, like fresh ideas can come in. And like, as I said, Joe kind of took that song to next level. And then David had a few ideas on the day as well. Theo came in. My friend Nick was on the brass. So it really is like a family affair. Like everybody had a really big input into how the song sounds sonically. Um, and I think that's the nice thing about music is that like you can go in with something and the more people get involved. Like I used to be very uh, hesitant to do that. Like I would be, and I think it's just from a self-confidence thing, like writing sessions with other people. I'd be like, oh, what could I add? I couldn't add anything to that, so I won't do it. But um, a friend of mine, Gav, invited me to write on his uh, song. He goes by Dash Oda and uh, he's going to be releasing music soon. But my first ever writing session was with him. And it was like, why have I not been doing it? It's so fun like to just be able to bounce ideas off each other. And, you know, you end up with something completely different to where you started. And it's just, yeah, it's so much fun. And creatively, it really kind of, um satisfies something in me and I think that's the best that I could hope for when I'm making music what happens at a writing session is it just like just I have this idea let's try this let's try that yeah it is it's quite, that's exactly it like with uh, Gav um he had a gorgeous sort of piano um melody he actually had quite a lot of the song but he didn't have uh the kind of top line uh vocal and so that's where I feel like my strengths lies in like that kind of area. So I was able to come in and together we sort of worked on this. Um, I just kind of sang a little melody over it and then I went away and worked on the lyrics and then came back to Gav and he sort of tweaked a few things, said that he wanted to keep some stuff. So it is like chopping and changing like, yeah, I like this. Let's try it. Oh, that doesn't work. Let's go back and try something else. Um, but I think what I was afraid of is like the idea of being put on the spot and uh and for people to think that it was crap <laughs> but like as I said like if it doesn't work it doesn't work you get over it you move on to the next thing and you don't take it personally and it it turns into something really fun then yeah and have you started writing more new music 
I have been primarily focused on getting this EP out <laughs> there. So uh, not really at the moment. I do have a couple of new songs that I'm uh, playing at my show, which is on the 8th of September, the same day that the EP comes out. But they're very new stages and I think I'm putting a pin in them at the moment until maybe like a few weeks after the EP and then I definitely want to go away and write some more. Um, an album terrifies me. <laughs> it's taken me four years to put out a four track EP. <laughs> so maybe like another 10 years I'll have an album. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean like if an EP, if this is like one of your first statements as an artist is this is who I am, I guess the album is like the next one yeah <laughs> the, the, next next, the next logical the definitive one. one yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh tell me about the acts who are supporting you adam whelan's Letha and galia arad galia arad yeah so i first met galia at a gig that i played um we got a slot at taste festival um the food festival the food festival yeah oh. um that was really fun we got to uh jump up at uh there was an event called culture vultures um and so i met galia there and that was really great. Galia is probably the funniest woman you'll ever meet in her life. I can't wait to just like, she's also an incredible songwriter. So like the two together is just like perfect. So can't wait to see her. And then Leitha are um, Neve and Philomena from up uh, north. And they are very reminiscent for me of the staves kind of earlier stuff, which is what, how I fell in love with music in the first place. Like, beautiful harmonies like so closely knit together they're gorgeous but the gals actually approached me during um the first lockdown that we had they had this really clever idea that they would sort of get in touch with uh, other artists and kind of do their own take on their songs so I had a song out called Sea Glass and Letha got in touch with me to see if I'd be up for them kind of reworking it in their own way and what they did with it was like so so gorgeous the harmonies that they added just like a totally different song yeah so really really excited to hear them cool and finally the artwork for the ep is great i don't know if you can actually like explain it to <laughs> listeners um it's a collage it's a collage yeah um so it's two kind of mediums put together um it's a photograph of me standing in phoenix park and then uh, that's taken by uh, my friend Robbie Mullins, amazing photographer. And then because all the songs are so personal uh, and they're about very uh, sort of real identifiable things in my life, I wanted to express that in the artwork. So like straight away, I was like, my dog needs to be in this. <laughs> <laughs> so my dog, Trixie, um, who was around for a lot of the songs that I wrote, she's like in the center. She was like the first thing. Um, and then to the side, there's an acoustic guitar. I first kind of gained confidence on a little nylon string acoustic guitar. And so I really wanted that to be in there. Um, there's a clock because I feel like I'm always against the clock. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a specific clock? I don't recognize it. No, it's actually, I'm like, it would be cool if it was a specific clock, but it's just one that we managed to get online somewhere. Um, but the time is specific. So the time it's is tw 24. 24. <laughs> uh, Go on. So <laughs> there was a period in my life where um, I was in between college and working. And I don't know, you know that sort of stage in your life where you, you, you don't necessarily have like 
any particular drive to go a certain way with your life. Um, you've no kind of real responsibilities. Like I hadn't started my career um, and I was just out of college. So it's just like basically just going out a lot and kind of um, being a bit haphazard with like, you know, kind of going out quite a lot actually. Like, you know, <laughs> midweek kind of like unnecessary nights out kind of that turned into That's big. the energy you have in your 20s. Yeah, exactly. And like the nights kind of were a bit bigger than they needed to be and that kind of thing. But uh, like, luckily my friends were all, it wasn't just me. Like I said, like I had problems, but I didn't. <laughs> um, like there was a group of us in it. Well, maybe we all had problems, but uh, um, we were all just figuring ourselves out. But um, there would be a point the next day. So the night would have finished and we'd all be like in a house kind of, you know, asleep on top of each other. Like, you know, kind of like music playing in the background. Like no one had said anything for a while. And I swear every single time that these nights had, I had happened, someone would ask the dreaded question, like, what time is it? <laughs> and I think, I honestly, it happened about six times. It was 20 to four. <laughs> so it'd been here too long. Yeah, it became this dreaded time of like, and then we, we just ended up seeing it everywhere. So I thought that definitely had to feature in there. Um, and then there's a couple of other things that are a bit more personal. Um, like there's two cups of tea down on the, right hand side in the foreground I cannot start my day without a cup of tea it just doesn't work um and the two cups of tea are for my girlfriend and me like we have to have tea in the morning and there's always a battle of who has to make the tea and so I thought that had to feature in there as well and there's some other things in there I'm gonna do a a little kind of series on each part uh when I release the artwork because I think it would be nice to talk about it yeah it's nice it's really nice there's a bottle of wine there as well we won't talk yeah yeah <laughs> how do you like your tea is it milk sugar drop of oat milk one sugar perfect mm. yeah you need a tea bag soaking for like five minutes three minutes uh three minutes is probably good i also have to drink it when it's scalding hot like oh, i can't okay. drink lukewarm tea it's not it's not great iced yeah. tea no I love iced tea, either freezing cold or roasting hot. Man, that feeling when you look at the tea and you realize you've actually, you've forgotten about it for 20 minutes. It's so sad. It's so sad. What about you? How do you take your tea? Um, I'm probably the same, but like, I've, I don't know what tea bags we have at the moment, but I feel like the second, I like the top half of the tea at the moment. Yeah. And then you get to the bottom <laughs> half and it just tastes like a different cup of tea. It just doesn't hit as hard. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if I, if I could, it's uh it's like that Seinfeld episode, the muffin tops, where Elaine is only about the, if you could just the have the muffin tops it's rather so than the rest logical. of the muffin. Yeah, yeah. the top if I could just different. Ha- yeah, if yeah. I could just have the top half of the tea and yeah. forget about the rest. But <laughs> well, I feel- actually, I'm constantly leaving half drank cups of tea around my house, so we'd make good tea partners. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, on that note, thanks for being on the podcast. Best luck with the gig and best luck with the EP. Thanks for having me. your door again walked you home again I can't stay late again tried to talk but no one understands scream it Heavy hearts, heavy ears. I 
State, uh, another track, the title track no less, off Jackie Beverly's debut EP, which is out on September 8th. And again, Wheelands, same night, gonna be a special show. More new music, I hear you ask? Well, you've come to the right place. Three tracks coming up for you right now. First is Last Survivor and their song Midnight Run off their already released debut album Kill for Love. Last Survivor is the brainchild of Deki Headrock and Mick McCallion. Deki was once part of the Japanese pop stars. Mick, the songwriter, was the drummer in the rock band Droids, and the trio are completed by singer Kara Malloy. Here's Deki and Kara to explain how the band started amid lockdown and about the song itself, Midnight Run, which you'll hear in full afterwards. Hi everybody, my name's Deki Headrock. I'm part of Last Survivor with Kara Malloy here and Mick McCallion, who's not here. We're releasing a new album called Kill For Love. Comes out on the 26th of August alongside our new single, which is called Midnight Run. Um, This is all very special to us because we've spent the last year and and over lockdown just trying to put together an album and release tracks and sort of build our presence. Uh, We're really excited. Everything's been going really nice for us. The original idea was just literally, I've been writing dance music for over 20 odd years. 
uh, under the guise of the Japanese pop stars and Head Rock Valley Beats and a few other things. And I sort of fell out of love with that and I wanted to write a ballad. I've been listening to a lot of electronic sort of chill out music, soundtracks, 80s rock, 80s power ballads. And I thought I would just try doing something a little bit different. And I came up with Last Survivor. Um, well, it was more Mick was on at me for, I would say, nearly a year that we should do something together. We should start recording music. We should form a band. And I'd stop producing. I'd sort of stepped away from all that. And I thought I would try my hand at it, just writing music based on what I was actually listening to at that time. And Last Survivor was born. We brought Kiara in and it was sort of a trial by fire. We'd asked her to write some lyrics for Midnight Run. We brought her into the studio not hearing anything. She just told us she had an idea. And I'm really happy how Kiara's turned it around. She's made it her own and she's went out and wrote these lyrics that just fitted so perfectly. And when I first heard this, it uh, blew my mind. Just it was everything I wanted. I sort of wanted the feeling of, do you remember Shakespeare's sister, Stay? Something along those lines, mixed with Blade Runner, <laughs> the sound of Vangelis. Um, so I'll let Kara tell you a wee bit more. Hey everybody, my name is Kara Malloy and I feature on the new single Midnight Run by Last Survivor. The guys came to me with a song about a year ago um, and first time I heard it, I immediately thought of 80s movies like Running Man, Terminator, all those films when you grew up, you just felt the most badass when you watched. And that's what I had in mind when I wrote the lyrics. And I'm really proud of the finished product. It is being debuted on the 26th of August alongside the album Kill for Love. And that line, the name of our album, comes from the song I wrote, which is really exciting. So I hope everyone loves the release. I hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy it and how much we enjoy making it. But thank you so much for all the plays. And here is to the future of Last Survivor. Cheers. What makes you think you're special? We should run, deny all of their questions. Might be fun, I'll try to keep it quiet until we're gone. But if you give us up, then I'll just make sure that you go back where you came from. Run. I'll just make sure. Away. 
That's Midnight Run by Last Survivor. Go to lastsurvivorofficial.bandcamp.com to listen to the full album, which came out on August 26th. Next up is not a new name per se, as Constance Apply have released three albums since 2013, I believe, but they're back with a fourth album, Lobotomy, on October 14th. And the first track off the album, released today, August 31st, is Duvet Upon Landing. Lobotomy was recorded on and off between November 2020 and November 2021 with producer Tommy McLaughlin, who I think is a genius. That was recorded at, of course, Attica Audio in Donegal, which I've heard so much about. Here's James from Constant Supply to tell us a little bit more about what the album is about and a little bit about the song as well. Hey Owen, James here from the band Constant Supply. Thank you very much for playing our new single on your brilliant podcast. Really appreciate it. The song is called Duvet Upon Landing and it's the first single from our upcoming fourth album, Lobotomy. So uh, with it being our fourth album, I thought it was time to get really, really pretentious and write a concept album. Come back! No, don't worry, it's not like some 70s prog rock epic about fairies and aliens or whatever. It's just a basic love story. Well, I sort of twisted it and at times surreal love story involving protagonist Shane and Betty, who go on quite a journey throughout the album. And the song Duvet Upon Landing is actually quite a pivotal song in the album because it's near the start where they get reunited and the journey begins. So yeah, taken out of context, lyrically it might be a wee bit confusing. It will make more sense together with the rest of the songs in the album, but I still think it works because it's just a fragment of a larger story and that's what most songs are really anyway if you think about it. So yeah, it's out on August 31st and the album Lobotomy is out on October 14th. So I hope you enjoy and hope all your listeners enjoy. Thank you very much. Bye! Take 
circus to that fabled bungalow The one your colleagues forewarned you not to go Grunting, then eyeballing my cranium Must rate my bloodstained bandage A modern work of art Duvet Upon Landing by Kanzen Supply. Thanks to James for the voice note explaining the ideas behind it. He's currently based in Brighton, but as you can tell, very much a Donegal man. Finally, our last new music of the week. Joey Gavin is a name you might remember Oshin from Thumper mentioning as one to watch during our chat a couple of weeks ago. Thumper, by the way, looks like they killed it at Reading and Leeds festivals over the weekend. And yes, I did watch out for Joey Gavin after Oshin mentioned him. And Joey, who's based in Berlin, released his debut album Between the Mountains and the Mystery a week ago. It was recorded over three years between Dublin, Kerry, Crete and Berlin. And is a work of patience, joy and community, exploring classic songwriting blended with contemporary experimental music and psychedelic textures. Here's Joey with a very brief explainer about the track I Want You to State, which we'll hear in full. Yeah, this song is kind of magic for me. It's it's incredibly simple and incredibly powerful and really fun to play. It could be played in many different ways through the years we've done it. And um, I hope you like it. Stay. 
I Want You To Stay by Joey Gavin off debut album Between The Mountains and The Mystery. Go to joeygavin.bandcamp.com to get the full album. And that's your lot for today. If you enjoyed, go rate and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And please share with someone who might enjoy it or shout about it on social media. Go support Irish music. Go support all of the acts mentioned today. If you want to get in contact, email the point of everything at gmail.com or get me on Twitter at TPOE blog. We'll be back with another jam packed show next Wednesday morning. See you then. (laughs) 